Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens, strength coach, strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and I'm down to 251 pounds from 293. Wave. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a big <laughs> <Yeah>. drop. <laughs> uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. Owner of Extreme Human Performance, faculty member of the Kerrig Institute, created the Flex Diet Cert, and I'm actually at home. No way. Ooh, look at you. That's I know. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. You know what your house looks like? Your house has got to become, it's like, it's become the strange place for you to be. Like, I'm busy. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> doubt. No it doubt. is a little weird. We were talking to the neighbors last night because they watch our house and we're gone all the time, and they're like, oh, you're actually home. I'm like, yeah, we've been home for about a week now. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Long time. Yeah. yeah. So, nice stuff. Okay. And we've got Dal Gaines with us. Yep. Dal, maybe just a word or two about yourself. Uh, yeah. I've been on a few times, so I won't go into details about the backstory. But um, I guess pertinent today is I'm a firefighter and EMT, have been for going on nine years, uh, also an acting lieutenant. Uh, for the fire department and former competitive battlelifter like Phil until I get healthy again. Right on. There you go. All right, everyone. We have uh, some listener mail. We have a little bit of news from the science world, and yeah, then we're just going to check in with Dal about um, you know training related to uh, firefighting and that sort of thing. So let's start with some of this mail. Uh, this first one I think is mostly for Phil. Uh, Sorry, it took me a little while to get to this. We're working through a backlog. It says, hi, guys. Uh, I returned my coffee survey. Thanks for the opportunity. It was fun experimenting. Number two, my wife just signed me up for a local strongman event. (laughs) I've never competed in anything in the muscle sports realm. I'm over 40, uh, and there aren't age divisions. I currently weigh in at 222. Uh, Weight class for me is between 175 and 231. I plan on eating like an a-hole, quote-unquote, until then. I won't know the events until June 11th. Um, the event is June 22nd. So, oh. he, you know, he's not going to oh, have geez. a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any, any recommendations, how to train, how to prepare, how to deload anything, all in caps. Caveat, uh, local CrossFit joint is putting it on, so I'm worried it will be heavy on the Hashtag Metcon side yeah. as opposed to strongman, uh, but maybe mm-hmm. I'm overreacting. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Anonymous. Yeah, I mean it depends if if the the CrossFit gym is actually putting it on or if it's just hosted there. Yeah, could be a big difference because a lot of times events are hosted at those places just because they have the big open areas. Um, but he could be right. I mean, it might be. My guess is since they're not announcing events, it's probably they're probably still deciding. And uh, and it could be heavy on that. I can just give some some general stuff to work on. I mean, some kind of overhead press it generally will always happen in a strongman competition. So I would work on that. If you have access to it, play with a log, play with an axle. Those are the two weird ones. Um, my guess is with CrossFit, there's going to be some kind of clean and some kind of press overhead. Um, so getting just generally okay with those, if you have access to the stuff, if not, just work the hell out of your dumbbell overhead and and press mm-hmm. so you have some kind of reserve in the tank. Deadlifting, uh, a strong back from strongman, I mean, I still think that's where I got my strong back. Everything is like there's nothing you do that doesn't tear your back up. Mm-hmm. So just tons of back work uh, from, from deadlifts to stones to farmers to everything. I mean, you're always picking something up and carrying it around and stuff like that. Uh Loaded carries. Again, anything you can find. I don't know what kind of equipment this guy has. My guess is, I'm just going to guess not a lot. So even heavy dumbbells, heavy barbells, some kind of grip work where you're where you're loaded and carrying for time. Um, 
even for a yoke, I mean, if you want to put a barbell on your shoulders, I know who is it? Uh, Nick Nelson does this all the time. He like goes for a stroll with barbells on his back, um, <laughs> something like that. You know, carrying carrying stuff for time and uh, a little bit of strength endurance. But I mean, for for the average strong man, like a minute's a long time. A minute's usually cap, and it's balls out heavy for a minute. That's the difference. It's like super high intensity over sixty seconds. Yeah, yeah. So uh, stuff like that. I would do a lot of like interval stuff, really short, hard interval stuff. So is where I'd go at. And I mean, other than that, good, good luck. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. You're gonna have a better chance knowing when your events get there, but then you only have like two weeks to get ready because yeah. you need to take some time off before it and uh, you know rest up at least. I'd say at least three or four days. So okay, yeah, that handles the deload. I, I think that's good advice, Phil. I mean, anything that's going to transfer like that, you know, and yeah. heavy carries and overhead pressing and stuff, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, you're not going to need a bench at all. I mean, there's just no such thing as a bench press in in the strongman. So you want to really go really heavy on your overhead pressing. So even if it's seated, all that stuff. I mean, Zavikas presses anything where you're putting weight over your head is generally going to have carry over to strongman. So okay. Uh, Any thoughts, Mike? Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that jumps into my head is with the short time frame is anything you can do to get some tissue exposure to different loading to possibly reduce the risk of injury, especially a soft tissue injury, because you're probably not going to get significantly stronger between now and then. You can obviously get better at the skill component just because you haven't done it before. Um, all the, the list Phil said, I 100% agree with. The other part that pops into my head, too, is if you've never done a tire before, get someone to show you how to do it, because I just see a lot of possibly torn biceps on tires, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's because people are, it's lifters' human nature to want to try to curl it almost unconsciously, especially if they slip. They'll stick their arm underneath it, and that eccentric load on the bicep, and pop goes the bicep a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tell people, I'm like, even if it's frustrating and you may miss the tire, get your hands pretty wide at the bottom, and then just drive into it with your your chest and your clavicle as hard as you can. And there's different methods of, of how to do it at that point. You can use your knee, you cannot use your knee, but I personally like having people pull their hands in so then you're pushing it so you're trying to keep your hands out of that in-between space where you're trying to catch it if it drops um and then also with stones if you've never done any type of round back lifting you know start really light and even if you only get a few exposures to the tissue that's probably going to be better than none and then the last thing too is when you're competing like when i did just a novice one probably around probably four years ago now uh, the big advantage I had is I had done some other competitions before, so I kind of knew about how far to push myself and still probably be safe versus not. Or there was like three people that got injured just because they got a little bit too crazy and their form went to just complete crap, and they were injured by like the third event. You know, And the reality is I'm in a novice thing. I'm not competing. I'm not going to win anything. I'm not going to beat anyone. You know, I'm just competing against myself, so just try to keep your state under control, too. That sounds good. I mean, these events do, I think both of you guys are kind of getting to this, to use a metaphor, dragster-like performance, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to remember, I mean, if you're over 40, and I don't think that's too old, I mean, you know, you're a no. good-sized dude here, and mm-hmm. but just have fun. Like, anything you yeah. do, if you've never done this, is going to be a PR so uh, yeah. walk away without a tear or a dislocation. Yeah, walk away whole. Yeah, whole. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then find a real one if you like it. Use this as something, do I like this? Yeah. yeah. And then if you do, find one they actually allow you to train for and tell you what the events are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one, <coughs> one more bit of mail here before we go to the news. This is from Chris. He just says, can you discuss your thoughts on the keto diet? Most of what I find is good. <coughs> But I watched a Mayo Clinic dietitian recommending against it, uh, and that, that's all he said. So, Mike, uh, you were just catching up on some of this stuff, I think, recently in your travels. Um, what's new with keto? Uh, why might uh, a health professional recommend against it? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, as you know, Lonnie, usually most 
health professionals recommend against it because they get confused about a ketogenic diet or what's called nutritional ketosis versus uh, people who have a disease process or can become ketoacidotic, right? So ketones are potentially an issue if you do not have insulin output. So if you have any level of insulin output, that will check how high your ketones can get produced by the liver. And people tend to confuse the pathology of disease progress with healthy individuals. So if you look at the data from like the Charlie Foundation of even on younger kids who have epilepsy, who have used a ketogenic type diet, uh, overall it's generally very safe. There isn't really any safety issues with it per se. So from that standpoint, I'd say there's probably not much to worry about. The bigger question is, does it fit your needs and your goals? You know, if you're working with your physician on some type of pathology, then you'd obviously have to talk to your physician about that or a health professional. If you're just doing it because you're a healthy person and you want to try it, eh, it might be useful. Um, but I always ask people, it's like, what is your goal? You know, like we said, if your goal is to do your first strongman event or CrossFit, then that's probably a horrible idea. <laughs> if it's, you know, you don't like to exercise a lot and you want to try it to lose some weight, eh, might be useful. Um so, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily dangerous per se, but again, that goes back to what is your goal and what are you trying to accomplish and does it actually meet those specific needs? Yeah, that that's good advice. Uh, when I usually think about this, Chris, it's um, a lot of people in the muscle sports and strength sports, they, they overdo the protein and they actually don't go yeah. into ketosis, they get frustrated because they're like, I'm not eating any carbs. It's like, well, yeah, but you're eating 300 grams of protein, <laughs> you know, and a lot of that's, you know, glucogenic. You're going to end up with, you know, enough blood sugar that you don't go into ketosis. So there's that. I agree with you 100%, right? This is not metabolic, you know, lack of insulin, ketoacidosis, and I, I think that's why a lot of dietitians recommend against it, but healthy people don't. You've got background levels of insulin, so you don't get that uh, ketotic. Um, there was a new uh, study that just came out in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition uh, looking at gender differences in ketosis, and there wasn't a lot. Uh, some things were seemed a little bit quote-unquote better in females, and I thought that was interesting. I'll try to pull that paper next week, but for mm -hmm. now, if anybody, if you want to go dig around uh, about keto ketotic diets, uh, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, uh, interesting stuff. It was looking at basically uh, appetite and that sort of thing. Uh, usually when people go on some diet where they cut out a lot of macros for whatever reason, you know, their calories get depressed and they become hungry but, you know, one of the claims you hear from uh, people that are proponents of the ketotic diet is, oh, I don't feel like I'm totally jonesing for carbs once I get used to this. Uh, so I was sort of digging into that. I'll see if I can't find that. Uh, I don't know how directly applicable it would be. But, um, yeah, goal-oriented because, yeah, really low-carbohydrate diets and performance, I just don't – I'm just not a fan. I don't know what to say about that. I just um, – some people are really into it, and I think for body comp and stuff, it could be good, but like you said, it depends on your goals. Yeah, and like you said, Lonnie, make sure they measure their actually ketones. I use an Avid Precision Extra meter. There's other ones you can use too, but nutritional ketosis, as Volek just, you know, has defined, is probably about 0.5 millimolar or higher. If you want to measure your actual blood ketones, not urine, especially when you're starting, and just see where you're at, and that gives you a pretty good marker. Uh, yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have one little bit of mail, I think, uh, or I mean news. I know, Mike, you've got one or two tidbits here, and, and we'll get to Dal. This is just sort of brief. This is from labroots.com and Carmen Leach. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, I'm really impressed with her, by the way. She finds all the coolest stuff. Uh, maybe we'll try to get her on the show. Um, why sleep is good for us. Now, this is an animal study, so don't roll your eyes because sometimes this is just the kind of model we need. But it, it says every organism with a nervous system needs sleep. Now scientists believe they have identified uh, one reason why it's so critical. They used a fish model to do this, but it says the researchers found that essential maintenance of DNA occurs in neuronal cells during sleep. 
the findings were reported in Nature Communications. They also indicate why sleep disruption has a significant impact on cognitive function and aging. Uh, so the idea here is it says as um, like other animals, you know, as we go through life, we accumulate damage in our genes, right, our genomes because of environmental factors, some, you know, oxidative stress or it could be radiation, that sort of thing, you know, from the sun, etc. It says cells have ways of repairing DNA damage, uh, but this work basically is showing that during times of wakefulness, chromosome dynamics are low. In other words, DNA damage continues. It builds up. Um, here's a quote. It's like potholes in the road, said study leader and professor Lior Applebaum. Um, roads accumulate wear and tear, especially during daytime rush hours, and it's most convenient and efficient to fix them at night when there is light traffic. So, hmm. again, it's, the idea is you get some of this um, DNA damage repair from sleeping, uh, just a final sort of conclusion here from them. It says, this is possibly the reason why sleep has evolved and is so conserved in the animal kingdom. In other words, so many critters, including people, need sleep, right? I mean, a good portion of your life, let's say a third of your life is spent asleep, and this may be a big reason. So I, I, I'm not going to give a lifter, a human lifter, practical applications from a zebrafish study, but <laughs> but it's it's worth noting, right? That how many times have we said if you had to pick one thing to address that people sent sort of abuse is sleep, Mike? Mm-hmm. I think you once said it's something about like I feel like I can I can get away with less, or I can kind of you know cheat the system. I know I should be doing it, but yeah, I mean if you don't want to biologically prematurely age and that sort of stuff you, you got to really find a way to deal with it it's just so disruptive and in this case damaging to your dna because you don't get that little bit of repair you know every every night so all right uh mike you've got one or two things i think yeah i got a couple of things i mean uh, real quick related to this one um this is from the JAMA network uh this is rob wolf actually shared this with us uh, it's from May. So sleeping in doesn't mitigate metabolic changes linked to sleep deficit, hmm. uh, which is kind of goes against a little bit of some of the other data I've seen. I did a little thing for T Nation last year showing the study that uh, sleeping in on the weekend actually a- appeared to help a little bit with people who were in a sleep deficit. Uh, but this one, they brought in 36 healthy people into a lab, aged 18 to 39. They split them into three groups. They had a sufficient sleep group. They could sleep up to nine hours a night for nine nights. They did a sleep restriction group without weekend recovery sleep, which consisted of only five hours a night for nine nights. And they did a sleep restriction group with weekend recovery sleep. So they had the five hours of sleep per week night and then unrestricted sleep on the weekend, followed by another two weeknights of sleep restriction. And they did a whole bunch of measurements, and they did a bunch of other stuff. And what they found was that the sleep restriction across the board, uh, this has been shown in other studies too, insulin sensitivity uh, declined, mm-hmm. uh, which we've seen that in other people too. Uh, what was interesting is the amount of calories that they also consumed. So participants who were not allowed the weekend recovery sleep, who were in a sleep deficit, they ate an excess of around an extra 500 calories each night after dinner compared to their baseline intake. Hmm. That's much higher than some of the other work I've seen. Uh, the participants that paradoxically were allowed weekend recovery sleep uh, consumed as much as 641 calories more after dinner on weeknights relative to their baseline. So what's interesting is that the group that had kind of allowed the weekend recovery sleep actually even ate more calories. He said the average person in the sleep-restricted group each gained three pounds by the end of the study. Uh, and again, this isn't looking at body comp, but just body weight. Um, and again, that's a pretty severe sleep restriction there, too. And their theory is that allowing people to sleep in on the weekend, it kind of messes with their circadian rhythm more than if they didn't. Um, one other thing I would say about this study is it's super fascinating, but I often wonder if they could sleep in a little bit more. Would that replacement of the sleep debt be better than how much they screwed with their circadian rhythm? I don't know. They didn't look at that in the study. But 
Uh, yeah, this is a recent study in current biology. So, hmm. yeah, pretty fascinating. So, yeah, I've seen some data to get your sleep. Yep, yep. I've seen stuff before. I think we've all heard early to bed, early to rise, and you can't make up for it on the back end by sleeping in till 10 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. See, they had, a, they had a study recently that said you can. I think Mike brought it up. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I referenced. So that, like, cha- that changed my life. Yeah. I was like, I'm okay, I'm going to live. <laughs> <laughs> by sleeping in? Yeah, on so just certain days. Right. You know, that you can catch up a little bit, but competing mechanisms right we're looking at what is a bigger mechanism your circadian rhythm or the fact that you have a massive sleep debt yes yeah you know right you can sleep in and get an extra maybe crazy six seven hours on the weekend my bias right now is i i think i would do that and maybe i can try to re-regulate my circadian rhythm versus not do that and try to keep my circadian rhythm but (laughs) man you could argue either way that's what I'm thinking, too. I mean, you've got to think about absolute minutes and hours of sleep debt. If you're screwed after a week of, you know, four and five hour nights, mm-hmm. for God's sake, sleep in. I would. I would. But I can understand that it's it's not always considered ideal, like getting yourself on a better schedule, you know, to sleep at a decent time and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah. Yeah. I would. What I've been doing, and so I went to a concert again, went to see Devin Townsend and uh, Dance with the Dead this past week. So it was a later night, and I worked just to get up at the exact same time at 6.30 the next day, even though we didn't get back until late, and then go to bed as early as I could that following night, uh, figuring I'll just kind of suffer through one day. I don't really have that much accumulated sleep debt, maybe a couple hours. And I'll kind of hedge my bet that the circadian rhythm is probably going to be a little bit more of an effect there. And that seems to work okay. But I agree with you guys. If you start having, you know, four or five, six hours a night, you know, Monday through Friday, now you've got such a massive sleep debt that that's probably going to be a bigger factor. Right. Yep. No, I'm, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reality. <laughs> I'm just wondering about this for the fire department because we always lack on sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Making calls through the night. And, you know, we work like where I'm at, we work a 24-48 schedule where it's 24 hours on and 48 off. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, there might be nights where you make four to five calls after midnight and then have to go home. Yeah. And so your sleep's all messed up. Is there something you can do uh, like with the sarcadic rhythm with melatonin to help with re-regulating even if you sleep in like the second day off? Yeah, so, and I'll get the other guys' thoughts too, because what I do with people who are in similar positions as clients is, one, it's really hard. I mean, you're just kind of constantly switching your body back and forth, which you can look at the nurse's health study. There's a bunch of, I think, shift work now in California is considered a carcinogen. So it's obviously not the best. You're just working to try to mitigate effects. What I have people do is once they switch back, so they're trying to get back to a normal rhythm. I find that like light is a huge one. So try to get out 20, 30 minutes of sunlight kind of in your eyeballs, walking around, no sunglasses. And then darker at night, you can wear kind of even orange lens glasses. Works pretty good for a lot of people. Um, sometimes with food, you can play around with timing. So try to get back to a normal schedule as much as you can. And I also tell people that your bed should be for sleeping. Because you want your brain to associate, the second I go to bed, I go to sleep. So try not to do reading and work and other things in your bed. And if you can't sleep for more than about 20 minutes, get up, do some light reading, have very low lights, and then try to go back to bed. Um, those are the ones I found that, that work. For melatonin, I start people with a small dose. Like, I'll even start 0.5 milligrams. Yep, yep. And, and I use it right as you want to be winding down to go to bed. So melatonin is more of a regulation of the circadian rhythm. It doesn't really do a lot to make people sleepy. It can in some people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I worked with a client recently, and we're going through stuff, and she's like, well, yeah, I was working shift work, and I got up, and it was 1230 after midnight, and I couldn't sleep, so I took a bunch of melatonin. I'm like, what are you doing? You're trying to go to bed at, like, 9 the next night because you get up at (laughs) 4. You just kind of pushed your circadian rhythm like super late. And she's like, well, I thought it was to help me sleep. Like, well, kind of, but that's a, 
I use like L-theanine or something like that to try to get people to be more relaxed than melatonin at that point. Yeah, I do a lot of the same stuff. I mean, reddish light or dark, you know, or melatonin yep. at the time of my day that I want my schedule to be. Like I, if I yes. want my schedule to go to sleep in the next hour, I take uh, one and a half milligrams of melatonin. So I, I literally bite a little three milligram melatonin pill in half. And they come in five milligrams and other doses too. But yeah, I don't do real heavy on that. That seems to work. I use a double bag chamomile tea. Uh, that doesn't tend to interact with other meds and stuff. But to your point, Mike, yeah, a lot of this is not just melatonin as a sleep aid, but you're you're telling your body, this is what I want my bedtime to be, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. The other thing, to Dal's point, fitness is such a shield against poor oh, sleep. Yeah. We talked about that last fall. We actually did some sleep deprivation stuff in my uh, advanced ex-phys class, and I had a couple of students. One of them stayed up for 36 hours, and, I mean, we couldn't even – I'm sure his insulin function was off or whatnot, his sensitivity, but we couldn't even change, like, a glucose challenge. Like, he ate um, a high glycemic carbohydrate meal, and then we did, uh, like, a two-hour, you know, glucose tolerance curve, and it really wasn't – what we would have expected and it's because he was a, a very fit cyclist and that kind of stuff so uh and blood pressure didn't change that much i think if you're very fit your body just gets used to dealing with stressors and of course it's not a perfect fix it's not like you can train your ass off and then barely sleep but you can get away with uh several nights in a row if you're really fit uh, and i think much better than if if you didn't train you know yeah, so that makes sense do you think that's more related to aerobic fitness, Lonnie? That's one of my theories, but I haven't seen any data supporting that. I've just noticed that more in clients, that if their VO2 max is higher or even just pretty good, like they just appear to be a lot more robust and can handle all forms of stressors better. Obviously, strength training helps too, but I think from some of those like sleep deprivation and things of that, it, I think having a good aerobic base appears to help quite a bit. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the comparison, so I, I really don't know. It might be, yeah. yeah, if it's like mitochondrial, if some of this is right. you know cell energetics and stuff, maybe the having the aerobic base is key. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll tell you what. We're halfway into this, so let's go to break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, check in with Dal about strength training, fitness in general, and firefighters. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. We're back. We're going to talk to Dal about strength training and being firefighter EMT type of stuff. Um, basically, I just want to get general thoughts. I mean, first off, I see a lot of firefighter stuff out there. I'm not going to give my opinion yet, but I mean, there's a lot for a while there was CrossFit, really heavy endurance training for firefighters, uh, things like that. I just want to get your general ideas on um, where you think firefighters should be headed compared to what they are, or are they doing things right? Um, well, there's such a mix. Uh, it's funny you guys talked about strongman at the beginning because that's kind of how it, you know, you walk in in the morning, it's what strongman events am I doing today? Uh, yeah. Because nothing we do is light. Nothing we move is light. No patients we move are light because they're dead weight. So that's yeah. where I think a lot of people get messed up is, you know, especially with CrossFit because it's so Metcon-based which is good for fires unless you're too weak to move everything around. Then the endurance just kind of falls off because Mm -hmm. you're having to work so much harder. And I think that if, if, if you could build a perfect program for everybody, it's heavy in strength in your core movements and maybe some awkward movements thrown in for assistance work. Mm -hmm. And then on your shift days, because you're not able to lift like that anyway, you could do some light stuff. Um, but doing some some kind of cardio that way you're recovering from your workouts on your days off you're not taxing your system in case you have to go do something you're also building up your aerobic base for when yeah. you have to work and that's that's one thing i hear from people all the time and and yes there are firefighters that have this benefit but they're like oh you're a firefighter you just get to train all day and watch tv <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, a lot of the guys I work with, Dal, you're included. It's like, no, man, if I go in and train hard, I'm, I can't. Basically, you can't train hard because what if that alarm goes off? Yeah. If Dal just finished a set at 800 and <laughs> the alarm goes off, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But, uh, well, it's like the station I'm at, we average 14 to 18 calls a shift in a 24-hour shift. Oh, wow. So if that Jeez. tells you... And a two-unit house, so we might both be going out. You know, it fluctuates either way, more or less calls. But it's impossible to get a workout in there and not risk injury or just a crap workout. Like, it's just, when it comes to time management, not worth it, if that makes sense. Because you never know when that alarm's going to happen. And it's usually happening in the next 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. So, I mean, you're basically saying... You know, of, of course, you need just static strength. I mean, if you have a firefighter that's just weak, of course they're just going to need to they're going to need to bring basal level strength up. Yes. But uh, other than that, I mean, it makes sense to me. Like loaded carries, dragging things. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna have a lot of transfer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? cool. Well, and the other part is it's like we do everything with a weight vest on because yeah. our air pack is forty five pounds uh, plus your gear plus whatever you carry in your gear. It's it's upwards to eighty to one hundred pounds trying to move properly Mm -hmm. is impossible especially with that much weight and then you're trying to drag something or work overhead when you have basically a 45 pound backpack on and muscular size and strength just helps move that around and make it a Mm non-factor whereas if if like with cross if you just focus on the endurance side of it your body does not know how to have that pillar strength to to work with that and make it a non-factor. Well, I mean, another thing I've touched on with firefighters is because I've had numerous ones stop in. I still have numerous to train with me. I mean, there's that whole what if. I mean, especially in today's world, what if you walk into a building and there's me laying there at 250 now? Can you move me? Yeah, exactly. I'm light. Can can you move me? If not, you better get stronger, man, (laughs) because there's a lot of people that are just big. And, yeah. you know, it's they're counting on you. So, I mean, there there has to be some kind of level strength there. And that's like I know several women that are in it, and that's their big push. 
Like, I need to be stronger. I got to carry this freaking hose, you know, <laughs> and, and things like that. So, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of people out there pushing strength training towards towards fire and rescue and stuff like that. I mean, what do you feel? I mean, is there a program you'd point somebody to? Just a basic program. I mean, you see, I mean, Wenning's doing the conjugate for freaking firefighters and uh, everything else. No, uh, you know, I would say Windler's because it works off of a 90%. So you're never getting up. You should be, you know, killing weights in the gym. So you're not yeah. taxing your system. But at the same time, like the way you rent or you, you've run things in the past mm-hmm. where it's kind of conjugate kind of percentage. Yeah. Where it's, you got some playroom. You got a, you got a day where it's, you got backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if those percentages aren't there, maybe you're working to a max five at like an RPE of eight. Yeah. Where it's like, you got a few left in the tank. You're still taxing your system, but the weights go out the window because you had a night where you were up all night. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're out training. Like your systems is your, your body's just not ready for it, but you have to train because you have two days off then you're back to work. Yeah. Endurance based wise or strength endurance. I mean, what do you, what do you feel is the most important? I mean, is it more of a, I mean, we can we can make guesses from the outside, but you're living it. Is it more of a like strongman type where it's hard rest, hard rest, hard rest, or is there a big need for just all out like moderate endurance within your daily work? Both. Both. That's the <laughs> hard part because you know we might get a high rise fire where we have to take equipment up eighteen flights of stairs yeah. before we even start working. Gotcha. And if you just have that strongman base where you're, you know, you're big and strong, you're able to recover quick, but you can't move for 30 minutes before you have to, to work. Yeah. Then it kind of goes out the window. When it comes to actually fighting fire, more importantly is the, the quick, because it's a lot of work and a short amount of time, and then you need to recover a little bit. Yeah. And we always talk about if, if you know, um, rescue pace is something that's it's. You think all out, but it's not. You need to understand how to how to use your energy wisely. Um, it's no running. You you move with a purpose, but it's not all out. And then everything outside of the actual fire is very quick. Once you get inside, everything slows down because you have to conserve your air. But you're working hard, mm-hmm. and you have to you can, you don't want to pass. You know, fires or victims. So if you just go 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 go, yeah. You end up running out of air, and you didn't do the job you needed to. And that's that's yeah. a big thing is air management, and that's where that kind of cardio base you're able to recover quick comes in. Yeah, somebody's huffing and puffing too much because they're out of shape. Yes. They're burning through the air faster. Yep. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, so what do you suggest? I mean, for that, just like drag a sled, weighted vest walks, hill walks, all the above? <laughs> I think – Probably prowler pushes and heavy sled walks, and then and then probably dropping off the weight and doing like a few sprints with it, mm-hmm. kind of taxing your body to be tired, and then doing something quick to kind of okay, I need to know how to move this weight for a extended amount of time, like under time or under under a distance, yeah. without taxing myself too bad to sprint. If that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I mean, and that comes back to a lot of what I do as far as, well, not with firefighters, but just in general, believe in. Like, the, the whole CrossFit thing came around. It was, of course, it would work uh, to yes. a point with a firefighter or anybody else. The problem I've had with it is skilled work against time. Yep. Whereas we can potentially get the same response from the body doing unskilled work against time. And drastically decrease our our uh, injury rate. Yes. So I mean, I think that's where a lot of people mess up. And like you're saying, the prowler and stuff like that. I mean, basically, it's not zero. Of course, nothing is a zero injury rate. But I mean, it's as close as you can get. You yeah. know, if you hurt yourself pushing a prowler, you got issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Justin, one of my clients blew his shoulder pushing a prowler. <laughs> But uh, it, yeah, it's definitely not normal. Um, would you say? I don't know. Let's let's try and put numbers on things. If you were in charge, would there be a baseline of strength for like main moose for a man or woman? 
Yeah, and that's where it's hard. It, it shouldn't be man or woman. It should be firefighter. Well, of course it should. Then, it should well, be, but in a perfect world, it's not that way. Yeah, um, yeah. And and uh, because no matter who it is, if I'm stuck, I want whoever is coming. Yeah. To be the strongest person possible. Yeah. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But if I had to put base numbers, it would probably be. A 400 pound squat to begin with wow because everything you do is with your lower body and your core um and you know lifting in general and your back strength that's not that's in a perfect world yeah um i think if you couldn't go that route maybe a double body weight because you, you're you're able to work with all that equipment on Mm-hmm. Plus whatever you need to do that's uh, strenuous would yeah. probably be a more accurate statement, and then probably a double body weight uh, deadlift, and maybe one to one and a quarter bench because yeah. that's just not important. Overhead press would be way more important um, because you do so much overhead and. Injury prevention for everything you do overhead. Yeah. Because working with straps on your shoulder, trying to pull ceiling, um, bench doesn't really come into play. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of shoulder injuries, right? Shoulder injuries, back injuries, knees. Yeah. I mean, your so, knees have to take a beating. Yes. Um, so I got, I got hurt, but whenever I, I got hurt, um, I went and had to meet with our, our risk management um, individual who we found out like through talking to her that 70% of the injuries on the fire department were um, patient lifting related. Mm-hmm. So that's where like, yeah, our knees take obedience more our backs yeah. from constantly. You, you wake up at two in the morning and you got to go lift. Um, like I hurt my back when I first came on, I like two years on. We had to lift a woman who was 616 pounds that was stuck between the wall of her bathroom, the toilet, and the bathtub, and I had to pick her up and turn her to get her going out of the uh, out of the bathroom. At two in the morning, there's nowhere to prepare for that kind of a movement. <laughs> no, I mean that's like you us. Know, we'll wake up three hours early. But <laughs> yeah, and so like yeah, I would say knees take a beating backs more importantly and then wearing an air pack on it and then mm-hmm. doing everything bent over pulling a hose pulling ceiling being down on your knees moving trying to drag you know a hose or, or individuals through something or moving moving chairs around that our hose gets stuck in just that's why i say it's kind of like what strongman events are we doing today yeah and then you you, you think all that <clears throat> and that's where like the two days off you can't let your workouts just destroy you to where you you can't do those things mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to manage yeah now fire correct me if i'm wrong basically each department is independent from the other ones right so like what you guys do to prepare is different from what other people do uh yeah like city to of, city yeah there's a lot of cross training though gotcha um, like best practices are put out kind of kind of thing or <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of conferences that go on and they talk about new practices, but still each department, whether they take it or leave it or think it's the best thing. The only reason I get at that is because, I mean, from being in what I do for so long yeah. across the country is I've seen a huge variance from department to department about how, how sh- in shape they are. Locally here, yeah. they're horrible. You know? cool. But I go down oh, the yeah. boat 30 minutes and they're not. So so that's where we, like with our, with my department, and I could go on for days about the politics of this and how it's messed up. But if we get hurt while working out at the station, we are not covered <laughs> because it was not attached to an alarm. Gotcha. And so they'll give us 60 days off. If it's not fixed that day. That's 60 days. You got to use all your sick leave or vacation until you're healthy. Gotcha. And that, and so, and then if we're out training, same thing. It's if it's not attached alarm, we're not covered. Really, even though you're on the job. Even though we're on the job. Wow. wow. 
That's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, because it wasn't attached to an alarm. Like they they want you to be very proficient, but they don't want to have to pay for the risk of injury. Yeah, it's like you need to train really hard so you don't get hurt on the job, but yeah. you're not. We're not covering you during your training. Yes. Um, that's interesting. Wow. Unless we have to go through like a long process to get it all covered, but if you just wanted to go out back to the station and yeah. pull some line to get it all figured out, and you roll your ankle or break your, you know, break something stepping off that's not covered. <laughs> so, so I can go into the politics of it, but yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. All right. I mean, so I mean, basically, you know, going back to your injury, I mean, a lot of a lot of what happened to you and. Basically, you were, I mean, having a, a large amount of muscle tissue kind of saved your ass in ways, correct? Yes. <laughs> I mean, and uh, we, we've seen this, like Lonnie said, we hear this all the time. You know, mm-hmm. Lonnie was talking about the guy who got in a wreck and like his, his steering wheel broke off, but he walked away fine yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, that's another way, and we've seen it time and time again. I mean, you're finally getting into sports where they're realizing that basic strength training lowers injuries. It doesn't raise them. Yes. I mean, is there any way or do you feel there should be? Uh, a nationwide like governing body like you guys need this I mean would that help or is it possible oh I'm uh, what exactly do you mean over fire like here's your you guys need to do this to get in shape here's your baseline kind of like the army army just now has their fitness 100% (laughs) Um, we have a fitness test that we have to take when we first get on which is the CPAT which is the candidate physical and aptitude test Mm -hmm. but it's nowhere near how hard it should be. Gotcha. Um, basically, they had to make it easier to fit all individuals into the ability to do it, mm-hmm. which doesn't doesn't apply to actual strength and endurance you need for the fire department or any calls. It's a, but it's just the baseline. But then there's no testing after that. Okay. Some so departments have it, um, but it's usually like a run, which. Gotcha has nothing to do with strength <laughs> or firefighting in general or staying healthy right. and being stronger. Um, I think the way that the Army's going is, the, is probably, or the military's going is the best route. Yeah, kind people of, a, lot of, kind of a lot of people bitched about that, but I think it's a damn good step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then this reminded me, so they have the military just um, approved the swim instead of a run. Mm-hmm. I think... Like if if you wanted to talk about long distance endurance for firefighting or like military, I think that would be the best route to go for air management and uh, endurance because it's no load. Obviously, the benefits no loading on your body, and you just build endurance without any kind of stress. And so I had to. I realized this whenever. Uh, I had tried out for the rescue team this last January, which was part of it was a swim test, how much my endurance built up without giving up any strength. Gotcha. And how, how to manage, because, you know, swimming, it's all air management. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very smart step for both. If they could do that for the fire department, probably police department, any kind of public service, treat it like the military. Yeah, I mean, and I don't understand why. Like, we see it. I mean, we see it here. The police and fire are just grossly out of shape. They're in shape when they get hired. Yeah. Yes. And now they're in. Yep. You know, and there's no baseline. I'm sorry, bro. I mean, just as a citizen, it's like I shouldn't be in. The average citizen walking around shouldn't be in better shape than you. We're paying you to save our asses. Yep. You know, that's literally your job. <laughs> you know, you guys um, take some pride. Yep. So. My buddy Frank, he is a firefighter EMT, and he's always bitching. He's like some of the guys I work alongside. He's like, I'm afraid I'm going to have to, you know, carry their fat asses out of the building, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to the victims that need my help, you know, because they're just so out of shape and that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, so we're, I'm lucky to be on a department that the the young guys are uh, are kind of the mentality's changing to be. We have a lot of people that are in very good shape. Um, it, it hadn't always been that way. It made me think of a story with a captain that who's now retired. But whoever was on the back end of his fire engine would have to come around and put his air pack on for him because he was too fat to reach around and actually put the air pack on. Wow. Wow. And so, like, you're a liability at that point. Liability, yeah. Yeah. For, like, I might get hurt having to pull you out, and you're definitely getting hurt if anything happens. 
and then I got to try and explain that to your family that you were just too fat to do the job. Yeah, which is not what I'd say, but that's what you're thinking in the back of your head. Yeah, you have to put the right words together, and that's again, you know, off off topic a little bit, but I guess we can mix military and fire together. That's another good thing about the new military test is it's basically if you want to be an active commander you now just don't get a hang on because your rank you have to prove it <laughs> you know they're making you okay you got a new job you didn't you can't cut the mustard bro you're pushing papers you know and i mean they could do something like that i mean there's there's logistical jobs within the fire department you know okay you're answering the phone yeah. <laughs> you know well, so yeah. that's what i did when i got hurt i was just i got turned into a secretary for yeah seven months which and is if the you worst, well yeah but i mean ever. it gets it gives it, what it do. It pushed your ass to get healed. Yeah. You know, if somebody doesn't want to be pushing papers, get your ass in shape. You know, yeah. if you want to be on the job, do something about you it. You know, Phil, this it's not that different from something like continuing education. Like, I have to get yeah. 75 hours of CEUs to maintain my nutrition license. Yeah. It, in a physical setting like this, it's not that different. It, it's continuing um like development, you know, and, and ability. You're just maintaining so you don't you know, with continuing edit, so you don't atrophy mentally. This is so you don't atrophy physically. Uh, I, you know, Phil, uh, Dal was talking about, like, uh, in the water and stuff like that. I can tell you, when my brother and I and some of my buddies, this was long after we started lifting, but um, that's how we lifeguarded. We muscled people out of the water. You know, we weren't especially buoyant compared to some of these chubby lifeguards that we'd compete for jobs against and stuff. But we would, I mean, we'd take a deep breath and we would pluck people from the bottom of the freaking lake and muscle them out, you know. And there, it makes me wonder about how much of this is simply being stronger because everything you do is so submaximal, mm-hmm. you know, versus some specialized training. I mean, you know, there's that whole, what, tactical strength and conditioning, the TSAC stuff. Uh, certifications and all that kind of stuff and it does make me wonder how much of this is baseline fitness and, and muscular strength versus mm-hmm. something that's more skill specific or you know special ways to train I guess yeah I mean that's yeah. it's, I see this crap all the time I mean I had to go take a my uh, I had to up my CPR and first aid and I was like I'm leaving there I'm like I wouldn't want any of these people saving me you know, I'd be screwed, mm-hmm. you know? and it's it's amazing, but no. Yeah, and that's a we need it to be a cultural shift, and like if there's anything, it'd be hard to do. But like the citizens should at the same time hold them oh. liable too. Yeah. Like when you see somebody that's out of shape, don't you don't have to belittle them, but it, it'd be nice if you don't have to go to that person. You know, call in. You know, downtown and be like, "Hey, why isn't there a program set up?" Mm-hmm. It's it's probably it would be a sh- you know shit show to start, mm-hmm. and probably a lot of feelings would get hurt. But it's, the only way anything's going to change is if the citizens decide to change it because they're the ones paying the taxes. Oh yeah, and that's... you know what I mean what what they want the money allocated for because that's it all comes down to to money and taxes. Well, and I mean that comes back to uh, this is going to open a whole new can of worms, but yeah. the six six hundred pound lady. Yeah, you know, hey, it normally takes us two people to get somebody out of a room. It took six. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because of you, you know, we spent this much more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you put yourself in a position. You know, so that's like the I beds mean, in in ambulances. I've heard you know some communities are retooling two thousand pound gurneys, kind of you know because. The victims are are too huge, kind yeah. of thing. But, yeah. So, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you did. I didn't realize how many severely obese people, how big of a problem it was. I guess to say, and so I got on the fire department, and you start making those calls because these are individuals you don't see out around because they can't get out mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know it's pretty staggering to see um, that. And then yeah, we're we're asked to move, move in, which is no problem. I, I, I enjoy helping people. It doesn't matter who you are. It's just you run the risk of injury at that point. Yeah, because and there's you know they're never they're never in an easy place to get to, or there's you, you know trying to fit a, a a very heavily person through a door. 
when you got six people trying to do it, well, you, you can't. It's got to be two now, one on each end. And we're going up and down stairs with them. Because we have what's called a Mega Mover, which is a giant tarp that's, you know, 1,200 pounds rated. And you're, that's where it carries and stuff like that come advantage, but it makes it, just injuries is so high. And that's why strength, like what Phil was saying, having that base strength, it prevents the injuries. They're not, they're not preventable, but it helps mitigate them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I go in about my injury and how the size help. Um, Basically, like Phil was saying, if if I if I wasn't as strong as I was to start, um, I probably would be paralyzed or or, or close to. Um, I ended up breaking two vertebrae in my neck and herniating my C five, C six, and my C six, C seven. Oh, and getting radiculopathy yeah. down my right right arm and and pec, which caused uh, basically I lost function to my right pec, my tricep, my forearm, and my lat, which is slowly coming back. It's just, it's almost been a year now. But I was told that if, you know, I had a, it was it was kind of a community, like two shifts in a row. I had a, a beam of a ceiling come in on me and on the top of my head when we were pulling ceiling, which isn't uncommon. Happens almost every fire, but I was looking in the wrong direction, looking up, and it caught me kind of on the back of the head and pulled my neck over. And so I had a severely sore neck going into the next shift. And I was pulling a guy, we were doing rescue team training, was pulling him into the boat, and it was almost like a million-dollar baby wound mm-hmm. where I had his weight on top of me when we fell into the boat, and my neck hit um, on the basically the other side, and it pulled my neck, you know, chin to, chin to, to sternum with his weight on top of me. And then that's where, like, my whole arm went numb, my hand went numb. Uh, couldn't really use it. But talking to the doctors, you know, after getting MRIs and everything, they, they told told me that if my neck wasn't as big and as strong as it was, that those breaks would have been a lot worse. Herniations would have been a lot yeah. worse. And, like, the C3, C4 is what controls your diaphragm. And so if I would have herniated one, you know, a couple more up, it would have caused that. So that's where it's, like you said, Phil, having that base strength just helps so much because that's nothing that's uncommon. It was small injuries that have happened before it was just kind of freak accidents that happened twice in a row yeah. and you know thank god I had done all the work to be as strong as I was or else the story might be a lot different oh yeah people don't realize how much muscle tissue just, just soft tissue bulletproofs you from yeah. average things <laughs> yeah definitely so, but, I mean that's like when Windler wrecked his bike they're like you should be dead but yeah. just cause he's huge he walked away all fucked up, but he's walking. You know? So. But. All right. Well, I think we'll call it there. And, uh, I appreciate like it. Like I said, we'll have you on. We, yeah. we talked in the, we talked in the, uh, in the, in the break about a, a future episode. So we'll, uh, do that. So everybody have a good weekend. Sounds good. Cool. See you guys. Later. See you. Later. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. 
So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.